Good morning. I'm Tommy Green. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Centerpoint. And this morning, we're going to finish up our series entitled, Jesus, Who Is He? If you've got your outline bulletins, on the inside of that bulletin, you'll find an insert with today's message entitled, Jesus is Coming Soon. If you need a pen to fill in the blanks as you follow along, if you just raise your hands, our ushers would love to come by and get you a pen. And looking back through this series, uh, we've learned a lot about Jesus. I mean, just taking the titles alone, some of the things that we've learned is that Jesus is the Messiah who loves sinners, though he himself never sinned. We learned that he was an uncompromising teacher and leader who's Lord over everything, including nature, sickness, demons, our money, and even death itself. We also learned that he came as a mediator to bridge the gap between God and man and to finally bring a solution to the problem that we call sin. And because of all these things, he's the object of our faith, and he's the object of our worship. And that if we ask, we can have a personal relationship with him. I think it's been a pretty good series. What do y'all think? I mean, Jesus is pretty amazing. Yeah, you can clap. Now, all, the, all these things that we've learned so far in this, in this series are things that Jesus has already accomplished. They're things that have all, already been done. Well, this morning, we want to take a look at an event that is yet to come, and that is his return. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll jump into the message today. Father, we want to thank you uh, that, Lord God, you sent Jesus to this earth. I want to thank you that he is uh, the Lord of my life and that he's came to this world to save us. I thank you, Lord God, through his blood we can have a relationship with you. I pray this morning, Lord God, as we open up your word and we discover more about who Jesus is, I pray that, Lord God, that you would speak through me, Lord God, that you'd move me out of the way. And, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would enlighten the word. And, Lord God, that we would see you in a different light. And I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. As we've been going through this series, we've been uh, looking through the book of Luke. Because Luke said that he took an accurate account. He researched and did an accurate account of the life of Jesus. Well, Luke didn't only write the gospel according to Luke. He also wrote the book of Acts. And this morning we're going to take a look at the text uh, starting in the book of Acts. uh, Where Jesus had gathered his disciples together right before he was to send. And he gave them a task to do. And so that's where we're going to start. Matter of, fact, matter of fact, point one on your outline is this. Jesus gave his disciples a mission to carry out before he returns. He gave his disciples a mission to carry out before he returns. And this is how the book of Acts starts out. In my first book, I told you, Theopolis, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. When his apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and to restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly appeared among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday... He'll return from heaven the same way 
that you saw him go. Jesus had gathered his disciples around and he gave them, he said, listen, you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You will receive power and you'll be my witnesses throughout the whole world telling everybody about me. And as he ascended into heaven, some angels came down and said, why are you still staring up in the sky? This Jesus that you saw ascend will one day come back. Well, there are people today who believe that that's a fairy tale. Who believe that the return of Jesus is nothing more than just a story. And you can, it doesn't take long. You can uh, look on uh, TV. You can turn on Bill Maher, which has an HBO special about religion. And he'll poke fun at Christians who believe that Jesus will one day return. Actually, I was looking through the internet and I found some quotes of people who were mocking the return. And here's some of the things I found. So one quote says this. Jesus is not coming back. It's been 2,000 years. How long will Christians wait by the door before they realize that they've been stood up? Another quote that I found said this. We've all been to church and heard, be prepared because you never know when Jesus will return. I wonder how long society will keep waiting before people will finally go. You know what? It looks like Jesus is a no-show. When will people wake up and realize that he's not coming back? There are people who believe that what you and I believe is just a fairy tale. And the life application for us this morning is that we need to have faith that Jesus will return. I want you to listen to what, second, what Peter said in 2 Peter. says, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the time of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was created. Listen, we don't need to, uh, we don't need to um, think it's strange that people are mocking that Jesus would return. But here's what we have to do. We have to believe that what the Bible says is true. We have to believe that if it says that he came to earth and he lived a sinless life, that he died upon a cross for yours and my sins, and on the third day that he rose again, well, the Bible also clearly states that Jesus will one day return. John spoke last week that our Bible, the Bible is our, it's, it's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And we need to believe that what it says is true. Luke 18, 8 says this, But when the Son of Man returns, how many will we find on the earth who have faith? I want to give you a, a definition of the word faith, and this is the note in your outline. Faith is belief plus action. Many of you have been here before when I've used this illustration, but this stool right here, I can believe all day long that this stool will bear my weight. That if I sit down upon this stool, it will hold me up. I can believe that until I'm blue in the face. Okay? But until I actually sit down upon this stool, I don't place my faith in it. See, I have to actually put action to what I believe. I can believe all day long that I can jump on an airplane over here in Montgomery and that airplane and that pilot will safely take me to where I want to go. But until I actually get on the airplane, it's not faith. It's just belief. And you and I can believe all day long that Jesus is returning but unless we're doing something about it, it's not faith. We have to put what we believe into action. Jesus gave his disciples a clear command of what he wanted them to be doing. And that was telling others about him. And if we're not doing that, it's not actually faith. It's just hope and it's just belief. 
The Lord wants us to have faith that he's actually coming back. James puts it this way. Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, it's dead. It's useless. It's worthless. You know, people have always been interested in the return of Jesus. They've always been interested in, in the last days and into the end of the world. And this was even true even in Jesus' times. Uh, that's point two on your outline is that people have always wanted to know when Jesus will return. I've always wanted to know when. Matthew 24 says this. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us when all this will happen. What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? And I want to stop here for just a moment. Because you got to realize that the disciples were sitting around Jesus and asking him, Jesus, when are you going to return? When is the end of the world? Jesus hadn't even left yet. And people were already interested about when he would return. Isn't that interesting? We've always been fascinated about the end times. And we've always been fascinated about when will Jesus return. And Jesus went on to explain to him like this. Many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. and They will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars. But don't panic. Yes, these things must take place. But the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation. If you'll put an outline, underline the word nation out beside it. The Greek word for that is ethnos. It's where we get the word ethnic. And it means race. The scripture is saying that race will rise up against race. Then he goes on to say kingdom will rise up against kingdom. And that word is basela. It means an actual nation, a country will rise up against country. And then he goes on to say there will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all of this is just the first of birth pains with more to come. Jesus was telling his disciples that these things would be happening in the earth. And he described it to a, or compared it to a woman being in labor. Now, I'll never forget when Shelly and I went to have our first child. I was rudely awakened one morning when she kicked me. And she said, I think I'm in labor. And I'll never forget, I jumped out of bed and I, I, I was ready to get the suitcase and rush, rush off to the hospital. And she said, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on, hold on. Um, they're, they're really light. They're, they're real far apart. Don't, no, no need to rush. Well, I was still excited. I mean, it's my first child I'm going to have. So I called the hospital and I, I tell the hospital, I think my wife's in labor. What do, what do I need to do? And they said, well, start timing her contractions. And when the contractions get about five minutes apart, come to the hospital. So I ran, got me a stopwatch, and every time she'd had a contraction, I was right on the clock. And I was making sure that, you know, about 3 o'clock that afternoon, finally her contractions had gotten to the point where they were about 5. And I was like, finally, okay, you're going to hurry and get this done. So we rush off to the hospital, and we get to the hospital. One thing you need to know about your fearless worship leader here at the church, I'm going to tell you a little story on her. She grew up as a country girl, okay? She grew up on a farm. Matter of fact, she lived about 16 miles away from the huge big city that we lived in, which was about, members of about 3,000 people. I mean, she was way out in the country. Matter of fact, someone had set us up on a date, and I'll never forget the first time I drove up her driveway, which was about a quarter of a mile long, and I'm driving up her driveway. There are these strange birds running all over the yard. Her family owned an emu farm. And there were strange birds. There, were, there was cows and chickens and horses. Matter of fact, by the time I got to the door, I was expecting maybe someone with overalls and barefoot to come walking out the door. 
<laughs> but being a good country girl that she was, she decided that when she had her first child, that she was going to have the child naturally. Now, what it means for a woman to have a child naturally I, is beyond me. I don't understand it because there's nothing natural about it. But she decided that she was going to not take any pain medication. So as the pregnancy, as the labor begins to uh, continue and the birth pains and the contractions begin to get harder and they begin to be shorter times between each other, it got to the point where they were really coming on strong and uh, there just happened to be a poor nurse that just happens to be standing beside Shelly when one of those contractions hit. She grabbed that woman by the, her sleeve and she pulled her down and she says, Give me a shot! <laughs> she had all she could take. She needed some relief. Well, Jesus said that was what it would be like when he returns. There'll be famines. There'll be earthquakes. There'll be uh, people claiming to be the Messiah. That all these things would begin to happen. That nations would rise up against nations. Race would begin to rise up against race. Jesus went on to say in the book of Luke that, uh, uh, in the book of Luke that um, some other things that would be happening uh, when Jesus came. He actually said that people would be self-absorbed and that they would be more interested in their own lives than in following God. And I want to read what he says in the book of Luke. He says, When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up until the time Noah entered the boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building, until the morning Lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it'll be business as usual right into the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a person will be out on the deck of the roof, must not go down into the house to pack. And a person out in the field must not return home. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. If you cling to your life... You will lose it. And if you let your life go, you will save it. That night, two people will be asleep in one bed. One will, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding meal together at the meal. One will be taken and the other left. Where will this happen, Lord? The disciples asked. And Jesus replied, Just as the gathering of the vultures show that there's a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Jesus told his disciples when the end comes that people will be lovers of themselves. That they'll be self-consumed and they won't listen to the reports to turn back to God. In Noah's day before the flood, it was an evil generation. And God had given warning after warning after warning for them to turn and turn their ways back to God. And they wouldn't heed it. They were more interested in, in partying and, and just be, having life as normal. And then all of a sudden the flood came. The same thing happened in Lot's day. Sodom and Gomorrah were evil country, were evil cities that wouldn't listen to the, and wouldn't heed God's word to turn back to him. And all of a sudden they were destroyed. And Jesus said that when you see vultures gathering around, it know, you know that there's a carcass, that there's a dead animal there that they're going to feast. And Jesus said when you see these signs, all these signs starting to take place, that's when you know that the, 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 the return is very soon. If you see one vulture out in the woods, a, a buzzard, it's no big deal. You see two or three or four of them start circling, you know there's a dead animal there and they're, they're about to feast upon that. And Jesus said that's the same way it will be when he returns. When you see all of these things starting to take place at one time, his return is very soon. 
Now I want to go back through some of the things that he said would be happening upon the earth when his return was drawing near. And I just want to compare and see if we think that we might be getting close to the return of Jesus. Number one, he said that there would be false messiahs. Um, there are many people today who actually claim that they are Jesus. That they actually believe that they're Jesus returned. The second coming of Jesus has already returned. And there are people that follow them. Matter of fact, you might not be aware of this, but there was a guy that used to live down in Miami uh, that has moved his ministry down to Houston, Texas. His name is uh, Jose Luis Jesus. And he believes that he is Jesus Christ reincarnated. He believes he is the second coming of Jesus. And you think, ah, you just laugh, oh, what, yeah, whatever. This guy has over a million people who follow him. He's on over 250 TV satellite stations. People believe that he's true, that he's truly Jesus. These things are happening in our lifetime. People are claiming he's not the only one. There are other people in other countries who are claiming that they're Jesus. And that Jesus has already come back. I'll read you a few statistics that I got from Cornell University about the 20th century, the last century that we just came out of. Um, Jesus said that nation would rise up against nation, that race would rise up against race. In the 20th century, 169 million people were killed from genocide or from ethnic cleansing. Race rising up against race. Jesus said that kingdom would rise up against kingdoms, that countries would go to war with countries. In the 20th century, there was 127 separate wars between countries. And there were over 230 million people killed in those wars. As we stand here today, there's, there's over 16 separate wars going on in the, in, in the world today. Jesus said that there would be famines that would be going on. In the 20th century, there was... 30 major famines that were going on in, across the world. And there were over 70 million people that died from lack of food. Just in the last century, in the last hundred years. And do I really need to go into natural disasters and earthquakes and tornadoes and all the natural disasters? I mean, it's not like those are happening today, are they? I mean, it's not like they come at a real rapid rate. It's not like you have a earthquake in Haiti and then tornadoes in Alabama and this and that. That's, that's not happening today, is it? I mean, it's not like people no longer want to listen to the truth and turn their hearts to God. They would rather live for themselves. I mean, that's not happening today, is it? I mean, the life application for us this morning is that not only do we need to have faith that Jesus will return, we need to have faith that Jesus will return soon. And where do I get this? This is what Paul wrote in Romans 13, 11. For you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. Listen, I can't sit here and tell you I know when Jesus is coming back. I'm not one of those guys that's going to say, Jesus is coming back tomorrow. But I will tell you this. The return of Jesus is closer today than it was yesterday. And the return of Jesus is closer today than it was in the days of Paul when Paul wrote that. What's the application for that for you and me? We need to be busy about doing what Jesus told us to do. If we have faith that he's really coming back soon, then we need to live our life with purpose. We need to live our life and we need to run this race called life with purpose. And we don't need to live it for ourselves. We need to live it for the kingdom of God. Because if he's coming back, we need to be busy doing what he told us to do. 
We don't need to get complacent. This is what Jesus told his disciples in Luke. Watch out. Don't let your heart be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap. For the day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times. We need to live our lives with purpose. We don't need to live it for ourselves. There's something greater than the pleasures of this world. Do you understand that the pleasures of this world only last but just a moment? It's a fleeting moment. We will live eternity with Jesus. Which do you want to live for? So don't get lazy. Don't get complacent. And just think this life is all about us. And all about what we can get out of it. Now listen, there's another application I want you to be aware of too. And it's this. We must not waste our time trying to figure out the exact day and time of Jesus' return. That's silly. There are a lot of people making lots of money and millions of dollars off of books, of end time books that say they can proclaim the exact day that Jesus is coming back. Don't fall into that trap. They don't know when Jesus is coming back. That I can say for sure. How do I know that? That's exactly what Jesus said. I mean, Matthew 24 says this, No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. Hey, if Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back, neither do you. We'll know the season. We'll know when it's getting close. But you won't know the exact time or the exact hour. So don't waste your time trying to figure it out. If we will keep ourselves focused and dedicated on doing what he said, when when he returns, he'll find us faithful. See, a lot of people are more interested in when Jesus will return. Jesus is more interested in what you're doing when he returns. And that's the next point on your outline. Jesus wants us to be busy accomplishing our mission when he returns. He wants us to be busy accomplishing his mission when he returns. We started out this uh, message today with, in the book of Acts, right before when Jesus was being ascended into heaven, and he had gathered his disciples and said, listen, I'm going to give you a mission. I'm going to give you a task. I want you to tell the whole world about me. Okay, I want to finish up the end of the story again. I want to read the, the last part of that again. It says, and as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood there among him. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but Sunday he will return from heaven the same way you saw him go. His disciples are sitting there and Jesus has said, hey, listen, I want you to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the world. Go do it. Go preach the gospel everywhere. And then all of a sudden he starts rising up and they're sitting there staring up into heaven, looking, looking. And as they're sitting there staring to see who can see him the last, kind of like you do when when you let off one of those balloons, you know, that goes up, you say, who can see it last? It's kind of what they're sitting there doing. Some angels appear. This is what the angels say. Why are you still staring up in heaven? Why are you looking? Jesus told you what to do. Go get busy doing it. Listen, this is a note on your outline. Jesus was crystal clear about our mission. He was, listen, there was no gray areas in what he wanted his church to do. He says it. In all four Gospels and in the book of Acts. I'm going to read them through all. Matthew, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. In Mark, he puts it this way. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone 
everywhere. In Mark, it says, go into the world and preach the good news to everyone everywhere. Luke, it says, with my authority, take this message of repentance to all the nations. In John, it says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Our mission is to tell the world about Jesus. It's very crystal clear. That's the task that Jesus has left the church to do. And a life application for us this morning is that we need to be faithful to carry out that mission. We need to be faithful. I told you all ago that nobody can tell you the exact time or the exact date that Jesus is coming back. But I can tell you when he's coming back. He told us when he's coming back. When we complete our mission, he's coming back. When the mission is complete, he will return. He said, well, how do you get that? What do you know about that? Listen, I don't know when we complete the mission. But when it gets completed, he'll return. This is what he said in Matthew 24, 14. The good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world. So that all nations will hear it. And then, you'll underline the word then. And then the end will come. Jesus is waiting for us to complete the mission. There are others that need to be told about Jesus Christ. In fact, Peter put it this way. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Now, there's one thing that we get to do here upon the earth before Jesus returns that will cease once he returns or once you die. Listen, when he returns, you will still worship him. You'll still have relationships with one another. But the one thing that you will not be able to do is share your faith with other people. Evangelism will not go on in heaven. It will not go on when he returns. It's the task that he left us as a church to do. And we need to be faithful to do it. You know, when I was in high school... My senior year, my parents went on a, on a mini vacation, a mini trip. And I got to stay at the house for a couple of days all by myself. And I was, you know, in high school, I was like, yes, I get a little bit of freedom. And I was very excited about that. And my parents, my dad looked at me before he left. He said, I want you to do a couple of things I want you to have done by the time you get back. I want you to mow the yard. And I want you to have the house picked up by the time we get back. And they said, they'll be back on Saturday. And I said, no problem. And he said, are you clear with what I need you to do? I'm crystal clear on what you want me to do. You want me to mow the yard? And you want me to have the house picked up? Well, being a, a typical teenager as I was, I procrastinated. And I went out for a couple of days and had fun with my friends. And just, you know, the house became a total wreck. Dishes were stacked up high. Uh, clothes strung everywhere. Beds not made. I was a typical teenager, just letting you know. My wife actually says sometimes I still am. But nevertheless, I mean, it was a, the house was a mess. And it was, I grew up in an t- era where there wasn't cell phones. And so um, when Saturday came along, I got up and I thought, you know what? I'm going to mow the yard. I'm going to get everything done that they told me to do. And so I got up about 9 o'clock and I was getting ready to get started. And about 9.30, my parents pull into the driveway. And the house looks like a tornado's been through it. The yard's not done. Can I tell you, my parents had given me the responsibility and they had trusted me that I would do what they had asked me to do. And when they returned, it was too late. 
I couldn't go back and retrain their trust. I couldn't go back and redo it while they were gone because they were already back. Can I tell you, that's what it'll be like when Jesus returns. He's given us a task to do. And once he returns, it will be too late. Matter of fact, this is how he said it in Matthew. He said, you also must be ready all the time. For the Son of Man will come when it's least expected. A faithful, sensible servant is one who the master can give the responsibility of managing other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that that servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. And he actually goes on in the next scripture and says, if, he's, if you haven't done what he says, it will actually be punishment. You know, I'm here talking this morning saying that Jesus has given us a mission. How many of you believe that Jesus has given the church a mission to do? Now let me ask you another question. How many of you have a hard time doing it? We do. It's the age-old problem that we have. And so this morning, I want to give you guys a few tools that you can do to help accomplish the mission that God has given you to do. First off, if you're here this morning and as I've been teaching and preaching about Jesus and you're thinking, man, I really wish that my coworker was here to hear this. I really wish that my brother could hear the message about Jesus Christ really clear. I really wish that uh, uh, my neighbor that lives next door to me, I know that they don't know Jesus. I really wish that they could hear the gospel. I really wish that I had the boldness to tell them. If you're here this morning and some of you have that person, matter of fact, the Lord is bringing that, that person to your mind even as I speak. One of the things that we can begin to do for that person is we can begin to pray for them. A lot of people believe that prayer is a last, something that we do for a last resort. I, don't ever have that mindset. There is power in prayer. Okay? God moves heaven and earth when you pray. And so you have friends and family members that you need to begin to pray for. And that don't know Jesus. And if they don't know Jesus before he returns, listen, it'll be too late. We need to be busy about being specific about who we pray for. And asking that the Lord Jesus would begin to convict their hearts. And that he would reveal himself to them. So this morning, if there's someone on your heart that you know needs Jesus, I want to spend just a few moments and I want to spend some time in prayer. And I want you to pray for that person. I want you to pray that the Holy Spirit would convict them that they need Jesus. Is that a good prayer? It's a very simple prayer. So would you bow with me? I'm going to say a simple prayer. Then I'm going to give you some time to pray specifically. Lord, I thank you that you've given us prayer. You've given us a way to communicate with you. And Lord God, if we ask things in the name of Jesus, Lord God, you hear us and that you move on our behalf. And so, Lord God, this morning, Lord God, I could sit up here and tell testimony after testimony of testimony of people, Lord God, that I've prayed for that have come to know you. Lord, there's testimonies throughout the world of people who've, who've had an encounter with you because of the prayers of other saints. And so, Lord, this morning, Lord God, I want to bombard heaven with our prayers. So, Lord, I just want to spend just a few moments asking you, Lord God, that you would convict their hearts and that your Holy Spirit would draw them to Jesus. Spend some time praying for that person the Lord has laid upon your heart. Lord, as we're asking for you to move on our behalf. I pray that, Lord God, that you do it quickly. Lord, I pray that you would give some of us opportunity, 
Lord God, to share our faith. Lord God, you give opportunity for some of us to invite some of those to church. Lord, I pray that you would do this and move on our behalf in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now listen, just because you prayed for them today doesn't mean, oh, I've already prayed for them once. Listen, the Word of God is very clear that He moves on those on fervent prayers, on those that are persistent. Those keep praying for those that you know need Jesus. Here's another thing that you can do is, uh, as we talked about, many of you raised your hands and said, I have a hard time sharing my faith. I have a hard time doing what G- I know Jesus has called us to do. Well, listen, there, uh, there's a lot of you in here that are like that. And that's one of the important reasons why we have connect groups. Next week, you'll hear, start hearing a lot about connect groups as we begin to start pushing them and new connect groups are beginning to form. But listen, get in connect groups where you can learn how to share your faith together. How you can be creative in the ways that we bring people to church. How we can learn to do ministry together. And so if you're not in a connect group, I want to encourage you to begin to think that way and to begin to pray about what connect group that you ought to be in part of. Listen, they're very important. It's, it's not just something that we do here at Centerpoint. I mean, it is the lifeline of what we do at Centerpoint. It's connect groups. It's how ministry gets done. Number three, I want to give you a very easy thing that you can do to, um, to help fulfill the mission that God's called you to do. And that is very simple. Invite someone to church. I don't know how many of you have uh, realized this, but uh, our senior pastor, John Schmidt, He's pretty crystal clear on where he stands on Jesus. <laughs> Are any of you foggy about what, what he believes? I mean, he doesn't have a hard time communicating who Jesus is and what Jesus is to him. And hopefully, I do the same thing. I want to be very clear that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Okay? If you have a hard time, you're not real sure how to share your faith, invite someone to church where they can hear the gospel presentation. I promise you that we will clearly proclaim Jesus the best that we know how. Okay? It's very simple. Just imagine, there's probably five to 600 people in this room. Imagine if each of us just invited one person to come and hear the gospel. Just one. That would be 600 more people for the kingdom of God if you just brought one. So I'm going to challenge you this week. Pray and ask God, who can I invite to church? Who can I bring to church? Who can I come and bring the, that we can hear, that I can hear the gospel to that? I can promise you next week, because I know what the message is, John is going to talk about having a relationship with God Almighty. It would be a good time for you to invite someone. Now, those are three very simple things that we can do to help fulfill the mission that God has called us to do. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you, Lord God, that you've given us some tools. And Lord God, that you, that you were, Lord God, you have such a heart for the lost. Lord, even in this series, we learn, Lord God, that you love sinners. Lord God, and that you love and reach out to those that are lost. Matter of fact, Lord God, and you said that, Lord God, you didn't even leave the 99 behind just to go find that one. Lord God, that you're, you're absolutely in love with this world and want to see them turn their hearts to you. I pray that, Lord God, that you would, this morning, Lord God, that you would give us a passion and a compassion for the lost. And Lord God, for those who don't know you. And Lord God, that we wouldn't be content just to sit back on our couches and and just live our lives for ourselves. But Lord God, that we'd be busy about doing your work of the kingdom. So Father, I pray that Lord God, that you would give us boldness this week to reach out and to share our faith. We pray these things in the powerful name, the wonderful name 
the saving name of Jesus Christ. Amen.